decisions. Did any of you all ever make a decision? Life is full of decisions. And it's amazing, when you make a decision, it, it, it causes a, a, a trajectory to start. You either go this way, it might, might, looks like a little bit of difference, but you draw it out, it's light years apart. And this morning, because of some decisions I made, or the Lord lead me to make, I have a wife with me, I have two of my four children with me, in church today. I have nine of my 13 grandchildren with me, and I have you with me. All as a result of some decisions that I made, that the Lord led me to make from the time I was a young man. What affects our decisions? And who, does, who wants us to make bad decisions? The evil one. Lucifer, he wants us to make bad decisions. And how, what is his tool? What is his tool to cause you and I to make bad decisions? It's fear. Fear. The moment you and I experience fear, you know what happens? Our eyes go blind, our ears go deaf, and our mind goes crazy. <laughs> and when you're in a spirit of fear, and when I'm in a spirit of fear, we don't see anything clearly. We are disabled. And we are extremely dangerous to ourselves and to anyone else who is dependent upon us. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. So I want to give you three episodes in my life where I was confronted with fear and how the Lord showed me what the source of all fear is. The source of all fear is insecurity. And the source of all insecurity is we have in fact secured ourselves in that which is not secure. As Jesus says, paraphrase Matthew 6, in this world everything moves, everything breaks but me. <laughs> so if you and I are holding on to anything in this world that moves or breaks, we move and we break with it. We experience fear. Fear clouds our thoughts blinds our eyes, and deafens our ears to that small voice of God. Okay. I became a believer when I was 20 years old. When I was 22 years old, I felt that the Lord just kind of gave me this gift of celibacy, you know, so I just quit going out with girls. So I went from the age of 22 to 28, never had a date, and I was just so joyful, peaceful with my relationship with Christ, I just didn't think it could be any better and didn't think that, yeah, I was, I was good. Well, I was teaching Sunday school with this young lady who I knew had some feelings for me, and she said one night as we were praying for this uh, Sunday school class we were teaching, she said, uh, you know, Rick, I've heard about you being so peaceful single, but she said, I just think you're afraid. And I knew exactly what her motives were, afraid of what? Afraid of marriage. I knew what her motives were, but I also had learned if another believer tells you something, you should listen because it may be the Holy Spirit speaking to you through them. So I took those words, and I took them before the Lord, and I said, am I afraid of marriage? And what the Lord showed me was, yes, you are. 
because you have not secured yourself in me and in me alone, but you have secured yourself in how you relate to me. So it's kind of like I had this little relationship with Jesus that I was putting my security in and not in him and him alone. It's kind of like if Jesus woke up and he didn't have a quiet time, do you think Jesus would have had a bad day? Of course not. But I couldn't, because I secured myself in how I related to him, I didn't see how I could possibly bring someone else into my relationship with him. So the thought of being married to another person caused me fear. And that fear would cause my eyes to go blind, my ears to go deaf, my mind to go crazy, so I can never do that. Simultaneous to this occasion, a good friend of mine, actually my best friend, I introduced him to this girl who he started dating, and I said, you know, you date and I don't, so let's take Paul's exhortation that a single man cares after the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, and a married man cares after the things of the world, how to please his wife. I said, so let's take Paul's exhortation, but let's face it, Paul is not really counseling against marriage. If so, there'd be no believers in one generation, but he is obviously speaking to a point. So let's take Jesus as the perfect husband, and Christ is his church, and Christ never took his eyes off the Father to please the church. So he said, great. So then that next week I read everything I could find in the Bible on love and marriage, everything I could find. And I met with Mark again, and I said, Mark, I've come to three conclusions. The first conclusion I've come to is the only kind of love that matters in a marriage is the kind that you find in Corinthians 13. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. The only kind of love that really matters in a marriage is the kind you find in Corinthians 13. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The second conclusion I came to is because it's a fruit of the Spirit, you can have it for virtually millions of women. Because it's not about that person. It's not because I love you because you make me feel good. I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you listen to me. I love you because God is loving you through me. But the third conclusion I came to is even though it's a fruit of the Spirit and you and I can have this for millions of people, yet there is one particular person who the Lord wants us to marry. So then I said to my friend, you know, I think it was easier in biblical times if a man felt called to the ministry of marriage, he would just go tell his father, I feel called to the ministry of marriage. His father would go bring him a wife, they would get married, Corinthians 13, love would kick in and they'd live happily ever after. So... I said, Mark, I think if I ever was to take a woman out, I would just ask her to marry me on the very first date before I had any feelings for her at all, and I would trust she would never be able to say yes unless Father wanted me to marry her. He would protect her. He would protect me. So this is just young guys talking. Okay. A couple months later, the Holy Spirit is really working on me. He's saying, you know, you're holding something back. You're, you're, you're not trusting in me. You're trusting in your... The way you relate to me, you're, you're secure in your single relationship with me. So I said, okay. And I knew all these young, fine Christian young ladies. They're in a part of a, of, of a youth group, a uh, singles group that I had, had, was involved in. And uh, so I called one of them on the phone. I said, uh, listen, uh, would you like to go to the show this Saturday night? And she said, oh, Rick, I'd love to go. But I unfortunately already have plans. I went, oh, thank you, Father. So I was free. So another couple months went by, and he's again pushing on me. So I called this other young lady, and I said, listen, you know, we're going to have that church retreat. Would you like to go on that retreat with me? She said, oh, I would love to go, but my parents are coming in town, and I've got to spend time with them. And I hung up the phone and said, thank you, Father. <laughs> okay. 
a year before I had been on this church retreat and my wife Kathy had sat next to me we had just made a little small talk but the next night after that retreat I had a dream and in this dream we were one and it wasn't a physical oneness it was a spiritual oneness it was the greatest feeling I had ever felt in my life I mean at two o'clock in the morning I woke up and drank a Dr. Pepper which is like a Coca-Cola and the feeling didn't go away I'm sure that's what heaven will feel like I've never experienced that feeling before or again but my theology wouldn't allow me to put any trust in dreams. So she was always real special to me, but notice she wasn't number one, she wasn't number two that I asked out because Father was doing what? He was building my faith. He was testing me. He was refining me. Okay. So it is a Sunday evening. We're at a youth group. It's going to be the 50th anniversary of our church. Billy Graham is going to come and speak uh, because his brother-in-law was our pastor. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, go ask Kathy to that banquet. So I went over and I said, hey, have you heard about that banquet? She said, yes. She said, I actually already have a ticket. And I said, well, would you like to go with me? And she said, yes. And I was waiting for the but, but the but never came. <laughs> so I was stuck with a date. Three people came up to me that night and said, Brother Rick, can you pray about anything for you? And I said, yes, pray for three things. Number one, pray that I have a broken and contrite heart. Number two, pray that, that I have wisdom, which is God's perspective. And number three, pray that I have faith to act upon the wisdom which he gives me. Because oftentimes I'll have the broken, contrite heart. Oftentimes I'll have the faith. I mean, the wisdom. Oftentimes I'll have the wisdom. Oftentimes I'll understand what his will but too often I do not have the faith to act upon that which he shows me. So each one said, well, can you tell us anything else? I said, no, but this could be a life changer. That was a Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday go, pick Kathy up, we go to the banquet. After the banquet's over, I said, uh, well, would you like to go to my apartment? By this time, I'm, and I haven't you know, been on a date since I was 22 years old, I was 28. I said, would you like to go to my apartment and talk? She said, sure. So... I'm driving to my apartment, I'm kind of making a little small talk, and I said, that's a pretty dress you have on. And she said to me, she said, well, I got this dress to get married in. <laughs> I said, married in? It doesn't look like a wedding dress. It was white. And she said, well, I was going to get married in Austin, Texas, and have flowers in my hair. You know, this was kind of the days of, you know, hippies and whatever. <laughs> so uh, I just kind of, oh, okay. So... We get to my apartment, and I'll tell you, as a, as a single man, I, first of all, I only had one roommate that was in my life. That was my first year of college. Then I got to kicked out of that university. I never had a roommate again except when I lived with my parents. So I always lived alone. Um, <laughs> you notice I was kind of a loner. And uh, I would leave my office, and I would go through a drive-thru, uh, which is the way you get food through a window in the United States, and I would eat on the way home. So I didn't have any supplies at my house. I said, in my refrigerator, I had a, a package of cinnamon rolls, some milk, and some ice water, and some instant tea. I said, would you like some milk or some water or some instant tea? She said, I'd like some tea. I said, great. So I went in, and uh, I left her in the living room to go in and make this tea. And as I walked out, she said, would you mind if I played your guitar? And I said, oh, no, not at all. So as I'm mixing this tea she starts playing the guitar and singing a song which was a very popular folk song at that time and it was called the wedding song <laughs> oh so 
I go and sit down with her, and uh, I said to her, you know my friend Mark? She said, yeah. I knew she knew him because she had been out with him on a date. I said, we've been uh, studying, um, I, I, we've been talk, looking at Paul's exhortation that a married man cares after the things of the world, how to please his wife, or a single man cares after the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And I said, I've read everything I could find in Scripture on love and marriage, and I've come to three conclusions. First conclusion I came to is that the only kind of love that really matters is the kind you find in Corinthians 13. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The second conclusion, because it's a fruit of the Spirit, you can have it for virtually millions of people. And the third conclusion is, even though you can have that for millions of people, there is yet one person who the Lord wants to love through you. So she's just listening. So then I said to her, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you believe with the Lord's help I could be a good husband? And there's no other conversation. I'm giving you verbatim what happened that night. Do you believe with the Lord's help I could be a good husband? And she just kind of looks at me. Sure. And then I said, well, do you believe with the Lord's help you could be a good wife? She just thinks a few, sure, with the Lord's help. Then a more penetrating question. Do you believe with the Lord's help I could be a good husband to you? Uh, she kind of slows down a little bit. She said, yeah, with the Lord's help. And then I said to her, well, do you believe with the Lord's help you could be a good wife to me? Now nah, she really slows down, kind of shrugs her shoulders a little bit. And I said, well, yeah, with the Lord's help. And then without saying another word, I looked her right in the eye and said, will you marry me? Will you marry me? She put her hands over her face, her head down. I jumped up, went in to make myself another glass of iced tea. I had delivered the pizza. I had done it. I had laid it down. <laughs> we had done it. I didn't care if she said yes. I didn't care if she said no. I wasn't having this discussion with Father anymore. We had laid this down on the altar. So I come back into the room, and she's still sitting in this position with hands over the eyes, face down. I said, you don't need to tell me now. I said, if I don't see you for 20 years and you walk into my office, I will marry you that day, as long as you do not do two things, as long as you never marry anybody else or say no. So basically what I was doing, I was giving her a blank check. Anytime the Lord wanted me to get married, all she has to do is say, here, Rick. But until then, discussion is over. So I said to her, well, maybe we should go out again and get to know each other a little better. And... Uh, she said, great, and the next night she had a date with a friend of mine, and so Sunday she was free. I said, well, let me take you to the youth thing on Sunday night. She said, great. So I take her home. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and the Lord has just poured into me all these emotions. Oh, just all these emotions for her, feelings for her. So it was very easy for me to spend time with her. Six weeks into us spending time together, she said to me, Rick, I really believe you're the man I'm the Lord wants me to marry. But she says, I just don't have any feelings for you, you know. I've, I've been... In... <laughs> she says, I, I've been engaged, you know. I, I just thought that I would have feelings, you know, for the man I was going to marry. But she said, you're just like a brother. But she said, you know, I, I really believe you are the man who the Lord wants me to marry. So she said, in faith, I'm going to say yes. Well, I take her home. She goes to sleep. She wakes up the next morning. She has all these emotions for me. She wants to get married the next day. 
Well, we didn't get married the next day. It was a couple weeks later, but from the, <laughs> from the day of our first date to the day we got married was exactly 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And we have been married 41 years this year. There you go. And I'm more in love with her today than I was then, and I was absolutely right. The only kind of love that matters is Corinthians 13. You can have it for virtually millions of people, but there's yet one person who he wants you and I to be the vessel through which he loves. In this case, this is my wife. I had two other examples. But let me tell you, if I had not repented and told the Lord, look, I'm securing myself in my singleness, my way I relate to you, I would have missed out on that. I wish I had time to tell you the other two. But fear, the source of all fear is insecurity. And the source of all insecurity is we in faith, in fact, have secured ourselves in that which is not secure. And brothers and sisters, there's only one thing in this whole world that's secure. And that's Jesus the rock. That's our father. He's the only thing that doesn't move. He's the only thing that doesn't break. He's the only thing we can put our feet down on, put our arms around, and it is unmovable, it is unshakable. And when we secure ourselves in him, when it all moves and it all breaks around us, when there's crisis, we're not in crisis, and then God can use you and I to bring peace and joy and truth through whatever crisis we find ourselves in, secure in him. We've got to stop this today. Um, Robin.